0: next chapter podcasts welcome again this is how i got greenlit for alex collegian i'm ryan gibson friends listeners television and movie lovers as you know alex and i rarely suggest other shows off the top like to give our how i got greenlit five-star reco to hollywood gold Daniela and becca have a clear deep love of film you can feel They cover recent and not-so-recent movies. They have incredible guests, working Hollywood folks who have intimate knowledge of the projects which are the topic of each episode. Allow me a moment to get really personal with you. I've been known to run into a bit of criticism in my life for being self-deprecating. I don't care. How I Got Greenlit is a dirty sideshow circus compared to what Danielle and Beck are producing. Truth hurts. The truth hurts. But hopefully, it'll make Alex and I better. And how I got Greenland better. Anyway, you should check it out. Alex and I love their show, and we suggest you, dear Greenliners, take a stroll over, listen, and subscribe to Hollywood Gold. And now I'm going to try not to butcher their copy too badly. There are no shortages of podcasts featuring interviews with celebrities who played lead roles in iconic films. But what about the people who got these movies made? Enter Hollywood Gold, hosted by film producer Daniela Taplin Lumberg of Stay Gold Features, where Daniela has intimate conversations with legendary producers, screenwriters, and directors. In other words, the people behind the scenes who saw everything. Guests have included Thelma Louise's screenwriter Kaylee Corey, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minds producer Anthony Bregman, Knives Out producer Ram Bergman, and many more. Listen to Hollywood Gold on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to say I really enjoyed the Right Stuff episode. Today, we have an incredible guest. Now, this is a one-parter, folks, so take it all in. Also, let us know if you like the one-parters instead. Email us. Let us know on social media. This week, we are absolutely stoked to be joined by producer-director J. Miles Dale. His credits include from the small screen, or streaming screen, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, Sex Life, and one of my personal favorites, The Strain. Seriously, watch The Strain. Find it and watch it. His film credits include Nightmare Alley, holy crap, Antlers, The Shape of Water, holy crap again, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which is, uh, I love that movie, Hollywood Land and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. He currently is working on an immersive experience with the Walt Disney Company. He discusses the project during the interview, but if you've been lucky enough to go to the Van Gogh or Dolly immersive shows, and have a shred of imagination, you can visualize what Disney immersive show might be. The B side today is Brian De Palma's 1974 American rock musical comedy horror. Holy God, that's a tweener, extra tweener. It's the film Phantom of the Paradise about a naive young singer songwriter played by William Finley. Who is was tricked into sacrificing his life's work by a legendary but unscrupulous music producer played by Paul Williams. In revenge, the composer dons a menacing new persona and proceeds to terrorize the producer. I don't know who out there know who Paul Williams is, but you should. The guy has been in film, television, and music forever. He's like an icon that people don't know about, and he was a star. Like a big star. And if you knew who he was, or knew what he did, or knew what he does now, you would say he's a star today, even today. And he is not in the spotlight. It's a good B side. It's a crazy movie. It's so crazy. Like, seriously, you gotta check it out. It's crazy. I'd like to do a screening of this movie for our Greenlight fans. And now, an hour with J. Miles Dale. Welcome to How I Got Greenlit. Uh, I'm one of the hosts, Ryan Gibson. Nice to meet you. a long-time and listener I'm, for I'm some I'm the color. other
1: one of the hosts, Alex Collegian. Yeah. We, we had a fight about, I called him co-host and he's like, well, what am I, your fucking lap monkey? I'm like, no, 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 I'm to your i
2: What, like, what's going on? Um, Do you a guys joke. want some mediation during the course yeah. of this? <laughs> That's why you're here. <laughs> a non-binding mediation? It's 20 years of
0: mediation, Miles. It's not going to oh, take my
1: God. over yeah. 20
0: years. Exactly. So, yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. Big Yeah, show. thanks for coming on.
1: Um, we understand you have a hard out. So you'd be like, okay, I got to go do a real work now. Sorry. Bye. Yeah. My Netflix,
2: Um, we're, we're, we're turning in the budget and the schedule for Frankenstein on, on Friday. And this is the last call with the execs before that. So, so is this the
0: part two of the Frankenstein that came out with, um, What's his name, Malik?
1: Are oh, you talking about Robert De Niro? That no, one? No, there's no. There's been like a. There's been a dozen. The one
0: your friend, your friend, your friend directed.
1: Oh my God! So Ryan just <laughs> likes to shit on people. Here we go.
0: <laughs> no, um, I don't shit he, on people. He's
1: talking about Frankenstein Unbound, which I'm sure you screened. You know, like frame by frame. To make you sure probably you watched it several times. At least you to get like the it's milieu the of this. It's on view. the list. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> diplomatic answer. It's on the list. Yeah. No, fair
2: enough. Look, there's a lot um, of Frankensteins for me to watch, but I'm busy making one. So no, this is Guillermo's this is Guillermo's you know, authentic retelling of the Mary
1: Shelley. And novel. by the and, way, probably one of the best guys. It's it's a it's an interesting when you you hear the filmmaker and you hear the the, the thing and and you know like, uh oh, this this could work, you know. Yeah. Um Let me ask you something about that just to kind of, you know, ramble around. Ryan will get us back on the tracks. Like when you're dealing with, I mean, Guillermo, I, in my perception of what he's capable of, he's won Oscars, he's made jillions. Like he could do whatever he wants. He has a house full of cool stuff. Yeah. And he has like, I think he has two houses full of stuff. Many houses. But, but let me, so let me ask this, but even at at his level of success and rightfully deserved, uh, do you, are are you still are you all the the filmmakers are you still obliged to 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 genuflect at the at the altar of pre existing IP or was Frankenstein something he just loved or, or or was Netflix like hey you can do whatever you want as long as it's these brands that we can pre aware market cha 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 like no I
2: mean we we we're happy to do originals I mean The Shape of Water was uh, original absolutely. And- Uh, Mm -hmm. antlers was, um, original. Uh, Oh yeah. I mean, uh, most of his stuff is maybe Pinocchio and Frankenstein, but aside, I mean, well, Pinocchio, uh, and again, I I think I can answer that a a different way, which is uh, on Guillermo's behalf. There were things that affected him in, in his life from a very early age that he felt compelled to, um, uh, revisit. So, you know, shape of water essentially was, Uh, he had seen creature of the black lagoon from the time he was six years old. And he felt that there was a, an injustice in the fact that the creature and the girl didn't get to be together. So (laughs) shape of water was his remedying of that. Um, And Pinocchio, I think he wanted to, to look, I think, you know, both Guillermo and I lost our fathers in the last um, few years. And I think he's in his father examination phase. So, so Pinocchio, Nightmare Alley certainly big father figure, you know. Um, um, uh, Sorry, of commentary in that movie, and now Frankenstein. Um, I think you know the the the, the and again Frankenstein as is, is absolutely one of the the James Whale version most formative movies in his existence. So I think he just looks back on these things as was Pinocchio, although his take on Pinocchio was very different. So I think you know he's inspired by these things. He realizes they're classic you know, um, uh, iconic stories, but also that he has a different take on them and something to say inside that framework. So I think, you know, maybe it's just a mini run in here where it happens to be a couple of popular, um, titles, but I know he's got some animation, for example, that is, that is more original and some of the stuff that we're talking about, um, are, are future projects are, are original. So I don't think it's a, you know, a, a, a regular thing.
1: So you're yeah you're not obliged to it, it just have no certainly
2: the, not yeah. obliged.
0: But I thought your question, Alex, was more um, like when it comes to to original or when it comes to IP that you're take you know that you're making from. Are you obliged? Was your question Are you obliged to stick to the mainline story that is in that? Is that what you? No, were saying? no. It's
1: more just about IP, man. Just the 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 co- yeah. you know as I'm sure Miles, you you've had a long and storied career. I mean. We're we're in a uh, a, a pre-existing IP uh, moment in our in our media in our in film and TV. Like it's it's it, you know we're we're I, I get it. We're inundated by all kinds of images and attention. You know, video games and Twitter and whatever. So I get that the studios are like, hey, if we could pick a title like a superhero, for example, or, you know, a fairy tale or whatever that that already people already know the name they had. They basically yeah. know what they're getting and we're going to do an interpretation. Um, you know, I, it's more a comment on that, not on Guillermo. Or I'm not trying to ding you. Or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm look, actually looking forward to it. But you know, what I, I'm
2: trying. I to didn't say. hear that. I think Alex. brand recognition is is not to be completely discarded as an idea, and that and and that if it if it was a tie between a couple things and some brand recognition can help get you over the line. Um, I think that's not a bad thing. I don't think we're looking for it. Uh, like I said, I think in Guillermo's case, and in maybe some other cases for some other filmmakers right now. That's, that's, uh, that, that can be seen to be true. Um, maybe there's some holes in the superhero universe right now that we're starting to see. Um, hard to say, but I think, look, an original story, um, everybody wants an original story. And if you can uh, cut through the noise and get that out to people, I think that that's, that's going to be more rewarding because they feel like they're seeing something new and not necessarily a retread, even if it's a different take, uh, you know, as Pinocchio uh, was
0: well absolutely I, I mean if you say guillermo del toro and frankenstein uh the i'm it's in. kind of a, i'm pretty
2: in i like yeah, what he's that's gonna like do with
1: aliens it. it's with a dollar sign like you get it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> everyone seems to agree that it's a, a marriage that is likely to succeed so by Excellent. the way many miles to go uh before we sleep so uh, we start shooting in january and you know, that'll be six months of shooting and then another, you know, better part of a year for post. So we got, we got a long way to go, but cast is shaping up pretty nicely, and, and we're we're excited about it. Can you say anything about casting right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, even though it's just kind of rumored right now, it's, it's we've been, you know, um, Andrew Garfield, Oscar Isaac, Christoph Waltz, Mia Goth, David Bradley, uh, wow. and Felix Kammer are, are the folks who we've got um sort of our eyes on now and i think january
0: is probably a good time because that's probably about when the strike is gonna wrap up
1: so
2: <laughs> yeah look i mean hard to say i mean we're obviously in in support of the writers here and 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 you know we stand with them uh it was nice that the directors settled uh, the other day yeah. see what happens with the actors but um you know we have a script that we're working with and it's pretty much done so um uh I think we'll be okay, but we'd sure like to see some labor peace and see this resolved for, for everybody's sake.
0: Um, well, that was a good, uh, that was a good opening. Let's, let's travel back to, um, you know, you're saying, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, my condolences, you both lost your fathers recently. Uh, Alex and I have suffered similar, uh, issues, uh, lately. It's that time of our lives where these things are happening. And, um, And, but if you go back, do you remember where your, uh, love of cinema or going to the movie theater, or do you remember where that started, what your origin story is, as we like to say?
2: Well, it actually started a little bit with my father, um, because he was in, uh, the business. He was a, um, a jazz musician who became a musical director, and we moved to Los Angeles when I was eight. He was working on Smothers Brothers show, and then oh, the Andy you. Williams show, and then Amazing. eventually became the musical director on the Sonny and Cher show.
0: From Television City in Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen, the Smothers Brothers.
2: So, um, I kind of grew up in that milieu, uh, I will say. Um, full admission i was the scourge of network security at almost every place he worked <laughs> i was i was I like curious bordering on mischievous bordering on where that kid go let's validate his parking and get rid of him um but you know so i grew up in that world which is which was which was fun so i saw that it was interesting people exciting characters different thing every day a lot of joy and then i saw other jobs that appeared to be more boring than that and so it was it was the combination of a love of film and tv certainly from a very early age some of it with disney and then and then kind of deciding that i wanted to be around people like that i realized that i had some kind of Diplomatic skills that feel well suited to um, producing. So, I did a couple of years of university. I started off as a PA, worked my way up, asked a lot of questions, listened, had some good mentors, and just kind of went from there. Um, and I started in TV and then got into features. I actually, started in kind of live TV with award shows and things like that, which were a little hair raising just in terms of their um, um, timing. And um, uh, uh, no turning back, kind of thing, and and then and then uh, you know really got into um, uh, high end TV at a certain point in basically in my thirties, and then into features uh, in my forties, and for the last twenty years. So that's kind of my trajectory. And now into uh, uh, immersive. Uh, yeah, Im- immersive, which is interesting. You know, it's a it's a a new medium, and I didn't know what to think of it when I heard about that. Um, but I went and saw the Van Gogh show and I loved it. I had seen Inyaritu's thing, Carne y Asada. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's at LACMA and you put the, Headset on, and you're crying when you take it off. It was pretty powerful, so I understood the 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 relevance, the value of it, and you know, being that I'm kind of a fan of the communal experience with movie theaters and 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 prefer that shared experience. Uh, this felt like an opportunity to kind of double down on that, where you can go and do it, you know, with your whole family, who all have some um attachment to disney from their adolescence or their childhood and also be able to move around and not just sit in a theater but bounce around and have the floors move underneath you and 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 do things in a new way so for me it was stretching a lot of new muscles i had to learn some of the technology but but immersive has been uh uh, an interesting experience and i think it's here to stay
1: Absolutely. Well, Ryan has some background in that. He's done some pretty interesting uh, stuff for museums. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it bus uh, bus thrown did go.
0: you um did you take the idea did you develop the idea with disney in mind or did you like was did it a they marriage? come to
2: you or did you go to them yeah was
0: it uh well we went to them
2: race? they don't usually go to anybody they usually do everything themselves <laughs> right yeah they they sit and, back and wait <laughs> it, it's a very high bar uh yeah. with them so um in actual fact the way it happened was A mutual friend uh, introduced me to Corey Ross, uh, who uh, is the head of Lighthouse Immersive. they had had great success with Van Gogh and uh, Klimt, Frida Kahlo, but he wanted to get out of the fine arts and out of those visual artists into something narrative. And he asked me what my opinion was. And I said, well, it all starts and ends with Disney. I mean, you could do animation, you could do Star Wars, you could do Marvel, you could do Pixar, you could do National Geographic. Like there's so many things you could do and I guess he had tried to get to them but wasn't able to. I knew uh, a lady named Alice Taylor in their innovation lab because they had wanted to do something with Nightmare Alley to actually create sort of an immersive carnival that never ended up happening. But I, um, I called Alice and she turned me on to a fellow named Matt Duhl. And this being the 100th anniversary of the company – uh, and Disney being aware of this burgeoning new medium, they said they did want to do something. They did want to do it. And so we started developing something that would basically uh, celebrate Disney animation only, uh, the 61 films from um, Snow White all the way through um, Encanto and now Strange World. And uh, so we started talking about it and we decided what the show would be. We, you know, We went through all the great songs, the characters, the shape of it, what, what the the technical possibilities were in terms of the elements that were available. And we came up with a, a show and, and, and it happened pretty quickly, frankly, because I think the first cut was done mid July of last year and we opened the show in December, which is, is fast for Disney. Um, but, you know, we were, we were really mindful of the responsibility that we had there. Um, it is an embarrassment of riches in terms of the material they have, but also that that the the quality bar is just so high, and I think we really were pushed to do our best work. Um, you know, for that reason, that that failure just wasn't an option, and it needed to be as magical as Disneyland or Disney World or or anything that they put out because it's all ten out of ten.
0: Do you see them, uh, you know, using what you've created maybe to possibly put in the parks at some point in time? I know people with the the Disney you know, they're old, they can't get enough of it. Um, Do you see them possibly using some of the area that they do have in some of the parks
2: to, to, to do something like this? Yeah. You know, we've talked about that. Uh, Look, I I made two points that um, there are some hot days and there's this thing called rain. So uh, (laughs) there are a couple of reasons to maybe be inside sometimes and not riding the Thunder Mountain Railroad. So uh, we'd love to do that. We've talked about it. I mean, I think first we want to get it on its feet and get it around the world. You know, the show can go to a lot of places that they can't get to, different regions. So we're open in Tokyo, for example, and now I think we're going to be opening through um, some other parts of Asia. Um, You know, we'd like to take it to certain parts of Africa, the Middle East, and some other places. So we feel like taking the existing show uh to a bunch of places first before taking it to the parks where there's already so much happening at the parks um you know to hold your attention uh but this is almost like to me taking the parks to the people so we'll see it's been talked about that's but a great not, point not front burner right now
0: did you it's have cool. to develop uh it had the development well, I'm, schedule i'm breaking so-
1: in i'm breaking in did you meet gene roddenberry on andromeda did you get to work with him?
2: No, I I, I didn't. Ugh. As a matter of fact, I'm sorry um, uh, that that's a hard. Well, note. that's
1: the end of the interview.
0: That's, well, it. It. No. that's it. See you later. <laughs> was was
1: the was the strain the first time you worked with Guillermo? Was on TV stuff? N- no. So actually, Guillermo and I met.
2: Um, I had done Scott Pilgrim versus the World with. Um, uh, I met oh, i one of the
0: first movies I showed my son. By the way. Oh, jeez. Right. Great.
1: You know everyone, right? Huh?
0: yeah pretty much i do you
1: know this one girl with hair like this
0: yes that's ramona flowers hey she's a little hardcore
1: what scott i forbid you from hitting on ramona hey what's up am i dreaming
0: i don't i don't know i don't know if that's a good parent, good parenting or bad parenting uh, well, but yeah stop yeah, right there. About about be on the
2: phone for you ryan right. um uh and and guillermo was set to do um pacific rim in toronto but he had also made a deal to sort of shepherd uh, Andy Muschietti through his first movie with mama and oh, wow. uh, couldn't do it. So uh, for, he said, for everybody let, out
1: there, he just direct Andy just directed the flash and will be the, directing the next big DC movie too.
0: Um,
2: yeah, is that, so, is he doing Batman the brave and the bold? Was he that announced? Yes, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That got announced by uh, James Gunn the other day. So, so Guillermo asked Edgar about me cause they were good friends and Edgar said nice things. Um, and so Guillermo and I got together and I produced Mama while Guillermo was down the hall doing Pacific Rim. And that was that was the first uh, thing that we did together. It uh, went very well. Uh, the next year he said, I'm I'm doing the pilot for The Strain. Would you like to um, do that? And that led to the first season and that led to four seasons. And it led to me being the producing director and directing a bunch of them as well. Um and then, you know, Shape of Water, Antlers, Scary Stories, Nightmare Alley, and everything else followed after that. So, yeah, it's been 12 years since we've been together, and, and we still really haven't had too much of an argument, which is really kind of nice.
0: I'm not uh, – normally we don't blow smoke up people's butts on this show. We're not, we're not really good at that, but I will say uh, the strain was excellent. I loved that show.
1: Amazing. And yeah. Scott Pilgrim is one of the best movies ever. I love I mean, yeah, Scott
0: Pilgrim. It's so fantastic. It's just it's so, so
1: great. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that production. we well, glad
2: you liked it all. There was certainly a lot of blood, sweat, and tears poured into all of those things. I mean, working with Edgar, you know, it's funny. I said I direct some TV, and I, I really directed on TV mostly to make myself a better producer and, and and someone where I could really understand the director's sort of problems and and toolkit and everything else. But you know, it's one thing to be a good TV director, but when you work with a great movie director, you realize that you're just maybe not quite crazy enough to, to, to be that. But those guys are really incredible. And, and, you know, the dedication that Edgar had and the whole music first thing where the, you know, the movie comes from the music. And by the way, I mean, the guy found a whole bunch of actors who have all turned into major movie stars. I mean, when you think about, you know, Brie Larson and Anna Kendrick and Kieran Culkin and all those guys were, were kind of like pretty new to it when he started and, 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 and look at them now kind of thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So great. So we, I mean, that's, that's part of, we're, we're curious about like what makes, I mean, I don't want to say genius. It sounds a little hyperbolic, but I mean, I, I do think Edward Wright is a genius, but it, when you say dedication, is it just like, no, we're not moving on until we get it. Is it just that like kind of sticking to your guns attitude? Because there is so many shots and so many setups and so many moving choreography in that film and all his films. Is, is that what it takes to go from good to great to just like not, not take anything but the absolute you know,
2: like, vision that you have? I mean, I think it is def- definitely down to a specific vision uh, and then not moving off that vision until you know something better comes along in the discovery mm-hmm. process. I mean, that's what I did learn as a director was to come in with a plan, but be ready to throw it away if you find something better. And that that I think is true. But uh, these guys, they're also the hardest working people on their own movies. and And I will say there's no substitute for hard work. And I can say that about Edgar. I can say that about Guillermo. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, we're we're not going to move on until we have it, and 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 you know that can lead to you know Kubrick doing 125 takes and printing one and 125 and using one in the movie or whatever, you know, or Clint doing three takes or somebody else wearing actors out because Fincher you, doing seventy t- yeah. takes, yeah, twenty takes, you know. Right? So yeah. so but, but it's also important to know you know, that you don't need a perfect master from beginning to end, that you maybe just need the first five seconds or the last five seconds. So it's it's all of that knowledge, really, It combined with hard work, combined with a vision. But the experience is really important because I've seen younger directors and first-time directors, and I've worked with many first-time directors who had great instincts, but maybe they were chasing their tail or or, you know, any one of a number of things. But I think it's really the combination of those three things Um, and there is no substitute for experience, you know, with, with, with the, the, the young directors or first time directors, you feel like you're breaking a wild horse and there's the beauty of the wild horse, but there's also, you know, you got to figure out like your rhythm. So it's, it's just different. It's different with everybody, but certainly with Guillermo at this point, he absolutely knows what he wants. He can articulate it meticulously to the designer. So you're also not playing a guessing game, which is important. It's not like present me with 10 things and I'll pick one. It's like, I need this. The gargoyle needs to look like this. Medusa needs to look like this. And, and, and I think that that's catnip for the people that we work with who, by the way, we have a a regular group that we've worked with and that shorthand is critically important. But, you know, for, for that kind of a workflow, like having, The experience and the vision and the ability to articulate it is all, uh, you know, a big part of it.
1: You know, even someone like Kubrick, who is notoriously a control freak, you would hear stories that he would also be very open to anyone's idea, the catering guy, the, you know, whatever. Uh, Do you find that the, 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 you know, the, the, the directors that you work with or the, you know, the better directors, are they they do have a vision, but are, are they open to anybody's suggest, you know, good idea, best, good, best is, is always best for them. Is it anybody? I mean, you, do you whisper in there and be like, what if
2: you try this? You know, are, you know normally I'll do that. If, if I feel like something is off the rails or really could be made better by a slight adjustment um, you know, there's oftentimes, and again, I wouldn't necessarily say with who, where you lob an idea in, this week and in two weeks it comes around as the director's idea and you're sap you're so happy to hear it and that's a great idea let's do it so i don't mind that either so i'm i'm usually a mention it once type of guy and then see if it comes back around again before it turns into like a, a crisis or something you know that you put on film that may not be the best it can be so i'm certainly always happy to lob in um a second opinion or you know add a little salt and pepper to something uh, and 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 be able to turn the other cheek if it's uh, roundly rejected, or if I'm publicly <laughs> publicly humiliated by uh, the, right. the even the suggestion as a a, a, a questioning of the emperor. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly.
0: We're going to take a small break with J. Miles Dale to reflect. To go back, we're going to go back to the vault. We're going to pull from our conversation with Claudia Puig. And it's a clip where she talks about how she tries to highlight films that deserve more attention than they get, which is kind of what our whole concept is about here on How I Got Greenland: and the B-Side concept. She played along. She played by the rules. You know, if you're a listener, you know that they don't always play by the rules, but that's okay.
3: That's one of my favorite parts of this job is to really be that advocate and to bring movies to, you know, the to, to people and uh, that movies that might not have been seen highlight roles and directors and writers that might, you know, uh, might not otherwise have been noticed that much of might have just gone under the radar for whatever reason, sometimes it's lack of marketing or whatever. But um, yeah, that's absolutely my favorite role as an advocate. And I feel like being a program director, which, as you know, because I programmed your film, at the Chapel yeah, Hill. Yeah, nine one nine. Yes, nine one nine. I've been I've been programming since I left USA Today in twenty fifteen. I did the Napa Valley Film Festival. I did the Mendocino Film Festival. I was a senior programmer at AFI. So I've been doing programming for the past few years, and then I joined. Um, Santa Barbara two years ago, and it's a complete extension of criticism. It's just it's the good part of it. You know, you're curating. Yes, of course, you're having to leave some some back the way you would write a bad review or something or a mediocre review. But you get to advocate and you get to really bring, you know, not maybe not the masses to the same degree, but you get to bring people to movies and you get to see the excitement and you get to share that excitement. And it's just it's a it's a little bit more um, like tactile, It's a little bit, you know, when you're writing something, you don't know if it's going to hit and it's going to land and who's going to read it. But when you're actually programming a film festival, you know, you can see that audience and you can hear their reaction. So it's, it's very, very satisfying. I love it.
0: Make sure you go back and listen to this episode with Claudia. All our old episodes of How I Got Greenlit. Let's get back for the final moments of our conversation with a friend of the show now, Jay Miles Dale.
1: we have a mix of listeners. Some are uh, aspirants, some are working people, some are just like movie fans uh, as a producer. And you've taken a lot of different producer roles. And as you said, you've done a lot of roles uh, all over the, 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 below, above and below the line. Um, what does a producer do, you know, and in, in your specific case, obviously you've come from the physical production side, but you know, today, like what, what do, in your definition, what do you do as a producer?
0: I mean, also, uh, Miles, you UPM'd, which unit production manager, which is, uh, I don't think a lot of people know what that is. Um, and it's, Or how hard that is. <laughs> yeah. But please answer yeah. the question.
2: Uh, yeah, look, I, I would say, for one, there are a lot of good managers who have become producers because they know talent management and they know mm-hmm. uh, studio diplomacy. So, you know, that is one version and there's many different versions of producers. There are talent producers, there are director producers, there are line producers, there are creative producers, there are writer producers. And in my particular case, what I try to do is be whatever I need to be on a particular project. So if there are, if there's, if it's perfect leadership, perfect vision, perfect communication, respect for the budget and schedule, and a decent communication level with the studio i don't have to do much it's rare that all that is true so whatever of those things are not present i have to fill in if it's a if it's a semi a semi if not contentious but if 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 a director or or the film needs advocating to the studio to them and then studio ad- advocacy back to the director I will do that. I'll be the Kofi Annan type of diplomat that works that both ways. If there's um, a talent that needs shepherding or help or comforting or whatever, I'll do that. If uh, the director just needs some help, you know, finding their way or, you know, again, with the with the first time directors, they need a little more help. Um, uh, uh, with the more experience, sometimes a little less. So, you know, and sometimes it's more the money because the money challenges. Sometimes it's more the circumstances. Again, you know, I was in COVID, you know, I was six weeks into shooting Nightmare Alley uh, and um, um, my series Sex Life when COVID hit. So that kind of all fell on me to sort out. I mean, the cast on Nightmare Alley were all kind of a Top level cast. Everyone had other movies that were dying for them. I had to keep right. that together to come back in September. I sort of think of it as like, and one of my early favorite movies was Zelig, because I think that um, Woody A, like what he did technically with stock footage and and vis effects, was very, very, very cool and cutting edge. But Zelig became whoever he needed to be for a circumstance. So as long as you can hold on to your soul. And your skill set, and just be the person that you need to be to fill in all the blanks on a movie. That's the best version of it. You don't, know, you don't, you don't, you don't push too much when you don't need to, but you don't um, step away from something that needs handling. Um, and knowing where that is and what that is—that's the trick to the job.
1: And also knowing what the person in front of you needs. Do they need a soft touch? Do they need a hard touch? Do they need, you know, like people, people management skills. I often say when people ask that, uh, it kind of went in line with what you said is that uh, producers solve problems, you know? And if everything was running the way it should, then yeah, you could meet the, you know, the silly sort of uh, latte sipping, lazy guy on the phone producer, like stereotype, but you're never sitting, <laughs> like you're always, putting out a fire somewhere you know so it's the
2: crisis that appears in your office doorway or, or on your phone and that's the most important thing and that's the thing you're dealing with and it's always something I mean there is always always something so look I, I like the fact that I came from being a PA and a coordinator and a production manager and you know I'm, I'm, I'm not a dilettante anyway that, that that pretends to know something he doesn't. So I, I didn't come from the creative side. I found my way into the creative side and then I started developing my own material and, 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 uh, and all of that. So I, I think having that practical experience and this was, I, I you know, I had a mentor, Jesus, what was it on uh, true confessions uh, producer who produced uh, that's incredible. And he said that the, the producer, a good producer, will, if not do every job, spend some time with the people who um, do it so that he or she can understand the value of every job because you're going to be making decisions and you're going to be having to decide the referee on priorities. And it's like, okay, do we stay an extra half hour to get that shot that we need that reverse close up that we're going to need in the cutting room? Or do we pull the plug because we don't need it? Now it's easy to say, pull the plug. And it's easy to say, keep shooting, but it's knowing the right thing to do. And so that's why I I started directing. I started doing all those other jobs so I can understand, do we need the $10,000 wig on the hero performer? Or can we live with the $800 wig on the stunt performer? You know, and all those decisions come. So, you know, the more you see those situations and the more you can kind of understand the value of every thing, um, I think that the better you will be because you're making more informed decisions and people will respect them because they're not, you know, um, dilettante-ish.
1: Yeah. You've, you've, you've uh, walked a mile in their moccasins. You actually were a PA. You, you, you know what a reasonable ask is or how much time a, a certain task will take. And, and uh, I, you know, a lot of what they don't talk about, about being a director or producer above the line is that it's, it's a leadership role. And, you know, when you come up like writing scripts or something and all of a sudden you, you know, you pop on a set, you're more of like an introverted uh, background. And then you have to be there's so many skills that have to come into it. It's not just, oh, you have a great vision or you tell a great story, or you write great dialogue or you, you work well with actors. You have to inspire these people. And that's what you said about the way that the work ethic is really you know, show me, don't tell me, right? Like if, if a director is first there and last there and picking up, uh, Apple boxes and like, you know, really like busting ass crews are inspired, films get better, things run better because, They're not going to grumble about staying an hour late. They're not going to, you know, uh, hem and haw about is this movie ever going to get seen or this footage is going to be shit. They're going to say, I want this director to succeed. This is my movie too, right?
2: Yeah. I've been lucky in that I've managed to work on good material. Like I really have been so fortunate to have not had to work on almost any crap in the course of my career. And so I think if people appreciate the material they they uh, uh, respect and appreciate the vision and they themselves feel appreciated. And that's a big part of it is, you know, if you can thank somebody for something, if you can bring a coffee truck in, if you can do those little things, you get the best out of people. And by the way, I mean, it's long ago that I realized that the, the screamers didn't work. And, you know, if if ever you're in there anymore, like I think H.R. has now safely in the age, in the last five years, in the age of HR, uh, uh, the screamer has been rendered canceled, and,
1: and everyone having a camera, and a video camera in their pocket. You're not well, going to be
2: throwing phones right. at people. Look, so however, guys are how, watching. however that happened, uh, it's a good thing because yes. for me, it was a long time ago that you know I, I, I ever yelled. Did, or Did you or, work or,
1: for? You came up. You came up in those days. Did you
2: work for some of those? Uh, oh, bro. I I felt the wrath of a couple people. I you know I did not get hit by Buddy's Bagel, but um, I might have ducked a few. I might have had a little smear on the side. So uh, it was it was yeah like it was a time when those guys you know did that and 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 got away with it. You you, you, at the time it was it was you know you learned and uh, I think my mother you know had of like a voodoo doll for um, a couple of those guys, but. It was, um, it was, it was only so that I could learn that that's not what you do. And, and fear will never get the best out of people. I will say you ask about directors. I will say a lot of the great directors do work from a position of fear of failure. That's something that I've observed too, is that, 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 that their highest standard is somewhat, um, um, uh, fed by their their fear of failure, and I find that fascinating psychologically. It's,
1: it's staggering when you see that. Uh, there's a great quote I shared on social media. It's it's Coppola in an interview in his late 60s, and he's telling a story about trying to get Apocalypse Now made, right, which was his own production. Uh, he said um, he was so disheartened because of the difficulty of it. I guess he had five Oscars at the time between screenwriting for Patton and all the Godfathers and such. Uh, he, He threw all five of his Oscars out the window in angst and was just like, I don't understand this business. I'm shit. I can't do it, whatever. His mother went out and dusted them off and called the Academy and said that the maid accidentally dropped them or something so he could get replacements. But the notion being that even a guy of such accomplishment at that point in his career still felt that self doubt, uh, and fear of failure that you're talking about it. It's, it's, it, it was heartening for me because, Oh, okay. I'm not alone. Uh, I'm always going to be, um, unsure of what I wrote or what I shot or whatever, but it's also kind of depressing that it doesn't go away. Right. I mean, we, we called this show how I got greenlit, uh, almost with the notion like, and, and kids do, I did this, Ryan did this, a lot of kids that talk to us, they think that once you reach a certain level of success, things get easier. And and again and again, people like yourself, and maybe you can echo this, it, it doesn't get easier. You just get in the, the more exclusive room, but you still have to prove yourself every single time. Is yeah. that accurate?
2: Yeah. I, you're only as good as your last phone call, as I like to say. Um, but, but look, you talk about Greenlit, uh, the last... Many movies I've done never got greenlit. We just found ourselves shooting, and and they keep you on such a short leash that it's like that any really,
1: moment they could stop it. Yes, did we ever exactly. get a green
2: light? It was like no, you know, it's this whole thing about conditions precedent and all the things that it's have flashing to be yellow. There is no, so but yeah, the flashing yellow. Exactly, it's I hate the flashing <laughs> yellow. But no, look, I think Guillermo said it. I don't know if you saw he was quoted in over in Annecy the other day saying the movie business is a shit sandwich, which reminded me of Spinal Tap, uh Shark Sandwich, <laughs> Shit Sandwich. Yeah, shark sandwich. Um Yeah, and but, I
1: think he was referencing if I know him like I think I do, uh, there's so many movie references that fly in his, you know, in his vernacular. But, but really but, what uh, he was yeah, saying is
2: that since the since thing. he won on Pinocchio and 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 we've been winning, like he, he, he's had people pass on our stuff a couple times, so you would think that he would be able to get the phone book made, but it's look, it's just not true. The business is really changing right now, and look, I'm fine. Nobody should be on automatic. You want to stay sharp. You want to make sure the material's still good, um, but it, it's tough, and it it look, it should be tough, right? It's not easy. It's a privilege being in this business to you know, make this kind of entertainment and not be out there picking up garbage. Um, no disrespect to the, the trash men. And, and it, it really is, but it's, but it's tough because it's changing. And oftentimes, frankly, studio executives, the people who are in charge are a little bit nervous. You've got the whole um, world changing right now with th- this move to streaming and this consolidation and everything else. And like, I understand the reluctance to, to green light things because what was safe yesterday may not be safe today. And who the hell knows about tomorrow? So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's a fear culture, right? Executives are always driven by fear. Let's do the thing that worked last time. And that's where the IP thing I think comes in is just that they don't want to get fired, right? They want to say, well, hey, you know, here's this big brand. Uh, It's not my fault that the public didn't want such and so, right? Um, You talk about the future of the business. What is the future of the business? What do you see?
2: You know, know, if um, I, if if I knew the future of the business, I'd probably be able to retire by now. But, um, look, I, I I see it evolving. It's, it's great that there's more content needed with all these, um, you know, new uh, services that will probably get more specialized. I do see uh, a further consolidation coming because I just think there's too many things out there right now. Um, I, I don't know when the death or demise of linear TV will happen. I'm frankly kind of surprised that it's it's taken so long given, um you know, what's out there. So, I mean, that's something that it seems to be in the cards um, just with, you know. Well,
1: uh, I would my, hear my pushback is like the, there's still terrestrial radio. I mean, just because a new, you know, satellite radio comes out it doesn't mean the old business goes away it sort of compresses a bit but it can still be uh profitable i mean one thing ryan and i learned on our last film is that there's still a dvd market it's not what it's not the king that it was but why shut down a you know 50 million dollar business a year keep it going sell it in walmart you know sell it overseas like do, do sure. you know what i mean i think i think there'll always be some kind of broadcast tv but just in an truncated form
2: i would put terrestrial radio in a different um silo than linear tv for example you know i'm talking about like the big networks you know cbs nbc abc you know sure they do good news but news is in fact i think they do the most balanced news in a way um but but there's other places that do news sure they do sports um but you know the expensive programs they do you know, their, their, their programming, uh, their, their primetime programming is probably skewing older and older and younger audiences are just, are just a, not ready to spend a hundred a month on cable and be um, probably not watching those shows. So I, I don't know what's going to happen that way. I mean, I, I see maybe, you know, the streamers having to come into line money wise a little bit, cause there's some, there's some, you know spending that that you could wonder about having paid more to get into the business now they they're gonna try to pull it back and you can't suck and blow at the same time so there's that to it um <laughs> and, and that's, then look, that, look, look, that's my go, that's going that the, on the quote board that's going on the t-shirt my hope is that the theatrical business stays strong i do think that people they like to laugh together cry together get scared together and so my hope is that older people, and by old, I mean in their 30s, um, uh, come back to the theaters. Because I, I really think that our business and, and, and the kinds of films that we make are best seen on a, on a, on a big screen. As so, big I mean, that, that's my hope. Get, yeah. And I think that people want to do that. I think now that yeah. COVID's over, you know, have viewing habits changed um, in two years to the point where, okay, now I got an 85 inch TV with five, one sound. I can drink my own Cabernet, take a pee or a phone call in the middle. If I really need to not pay for parking a babysitter, $10 popcorn, $10 Coke. And, 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 and how different is it? Um, I'm here to say it's, it's different and we just got to get back to that.
1: Yeah, watched Absolutely. Avatar 2 on IMAX, then I watched it on Disney+, and it's a different movie.
2: Very different thing.
0: One of the things that we have, and I think you, you must have a story that you remember, and it might not exactly be your green greenlit moment, but it would be great to know since you had, you know, since... Your father, uh, you had access in the business you know, to be on studio lots. It would be really interesting to know, do you have that moment um, possibly early on in your career or somewhere in your career where you just were like, well, wow, I can't. You just kind of take a step back. And like, is like, happening. Wow, this happening? This is, is real life. This is really cool. I, I'm. This is where
2: I Yeah, I've got one in particular that I can think of when I was standing on the stage at the Academy Awards five years ago looking out at this sea of all my heroes saying, what the fuck am I doing here? Holding <laughs> <laughs> an Academy Award in my hand. Which was it had... sho- was it
0: shocking? Like where, wow. when you were sitting there, do you remember I mean, that? Did you,
1: how'd you feel coming in? Like, I'm not
2: writing a speech. This ain't happening. I mean, you, you know, like... I'll tell you, it's um, so we, you know, that movie really snuck up on people, right? Like we're not it making did. it thinking that we're going to be there. And well, who then,
1: would think a genre movie would win? But there you go,
2: right, or be nominated. Even. So you know, we yeah. and interestingly, we were prepping in the summer of seventeen. Guillermo and I were prepping a movie called Fantastic Voyage that we were producing with Jim Cameron. And I said, and we had been invited to Venice with the movie, and we were going to have to start shooting basically later in the fall. And I said, Guillermo, I know this is a lot, but basically, like, I don't think if we see a possibility of getting this thing over the line, I think we're going to have to. Decide whether we're doing Fantastic Voyage or whether we're, you know, going on the campaign trail. Really, and and w- didn't feel like the movie was quite ready either. It could have used some more, uh, you know, d- d- development and and concept work. So we paused it and we went on the campaign trail and we went Venice, Telluride, Toronto, London. Screen, 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 and 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 the movie just kept winning people over, and so it it came clear to us that that we were certainly. Um, it was a possibility that we would be nominated. And then, but then we lost at the golden globes to three billboards. We lost at the BAFTAs to three billboards, which made sense because it was British producers and, 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 and an Irish director. And then, so I was at the Oscars thinking, we are not going to win. Um, and hadn't really prepared anything, which is a good thing because they cut the microphone off on me anyway. Uh, But then really what you, what happens is, and so Guillermo won and the production design won and music won. So uh, uh, Guillermo won for directing. And so it's a possibility, but, but, but having been disappointed a couple times before I was pre, I was prepared to be disappointed. So then when you hear your name, it all goes to slow motion. So it's really, it's very, very euphoric. And then. I don't remember a lot of it, but just being up there and looking out and hearing clapping and Guillermo talk. And then literally, it's a good thing the guy cut the microphone off because I probably just would have babbled because I was so <laughs> fucking out of it. So, but but really um, that's, that, that's the moment because a few yeah. years ago, and, and I'll tell you, my mother, uh, a, a few years before that, maybe three years before that, I don't know when he had done Silver Linings or American House or something, he said to me, Oh, Bradley Cooper's taking his mother to the Oscars. And I said, you know what, mom? And and she's an Italian mother. Bradley Cooper's mother, Gloria, is Italian. I said, tell you what, mom? I ever go to the Oscars? It's you and me. So anyway, like three years later, there we are, nominated. And before she had a chance to bring it up, I said, guess what, mom? Because I talked to my wife, you know, who also went. My kids went and everything. I said, you're coming with me, sitting with me. So that was great. I got to walk the carpet with my mom. Sit behind Jane Fonda, share that with her, and uh, then when we when we did Nightmare Alley with Bradley Cooper, it was pretty funny. I said, "Hey Bradley, I think I you, I owe you, and so does my mother. So she's Italian. Your mother's Italian. She's going to be cooking for you while you're in town, and so Bradley would get lasagna and meatballs and, <laughs> and stuff like that from my mom. He was like, "I love this deal."
1: <laughs> very cool, very cool. I by the way, I love Nightmare Alley. Like I watched the oh, shit thanks, out of man. That movie um also should have won but there you have it well yeah
0: so um you know miles has brought a movie to us that
1: yes we must speak i, I know we have a truncated time but we cannot part without talking to probably my favorite b-side that's ever been introduced on this show. Is I that would right? say some, Yes. yeah so it's a nice
0: pick uh I, yeah. and i will say this um I don't remember, uh, Alex and I grew up in the Midwest, I don't remember if it was on, either they played it on WGN, because WGN used to play movies, like Friday night movies or something like that, Mm -hmm. or we were early adopters. Or like
1: Son of Spangoolie.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we were kind of early adopters of HBO uh, when it came – when HBO was a thing in my family. And I I think they – it might have been they they played this – HBO early on had these movies in their library that they They would would just just play the crap out of. So I was was exposed to this uh, at a pretty young age. But the movie is (laughs) – Alex you
1: take- well you know the, the reason it's near and dear to our heart is we made a uh, we also made a very similar film called high voltage a few years ago and a lot of people were like oh this is kind of in that same vein of like a midnight movie with rock and roll and you know very garish and sort of fun and campy and self-aware uh it's uh it's phantom of the paradise brian de palma's 1974
2: classic 20th century fox presents phantom of the paradise a gothic horror story. Ah! What was that? Oh, no. A beautiful love story.
0: By the
1: way, not the first time De Palma's been featured on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we love him. Uh, we we had uh, we actually were lucky enough to have Luke Wilson, and apparently, according to him, was the first time we killed him. Someone killed him on screen, and he looked. He came on the set. And he's like, oh, you're doing like a De Palma thing, you know? So we were like, yeah. (laughs) And um, it's such a, we were trying to place it in the, in the sort of like pantheon of Rocky horror and all the other music movies, right. Of That era, it seemed like that was uh, the time when you could just get away with bloody murder, literally and figuratively in this kind of space. I mean, what, what, what inspired you to bring that film along?
2: Well, so a few things. Um, so I was 14, and my buddy Danny was working at Famous Players. He was working at a movie theater uh, in Toronto. And so it was a, on a Saturday, we would just go down, and he would let us in the back door, and we would just watch movies all day. But when there were, there were two big ones, Phantom and Blazing Saddles, and when those oh, came, we were literally noon to 7 p.m. <laughs> so we would just go three to four in a row and, and try not to get kicked out. Even when he let us in, we'd have to kind of move around just to not be like mm-hmm. vagrants. So and, and, and it was, as you guys know, it was a little before Rocky Horror, but later in yeah. high school, Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, uh, Tommy. Tommy. So yeah. the, the the rock opera really to me again. I told you guys my dad was a professional musician. I was very into music, and so this thing it really resonated to me for a, a, a number of reasons. Um, it was, you know, it, again it had it had some Faust, it had a little Dorian Gray, it had a little Phantom of the Opera, but it also had comedy, and it had yeah. horror. And and by the way, it made fun of the music business, which I knew about from my dad. Right. So like a great satire (laughs) on the music industry. So I realized then that I was kind of drawn to uh, genre benders, which Mm -hmm. which which it clearly was. Um, And, you know, you talk about Blazing Saddles, Rocky Horror. I mean, there are a number of movies in there. Also
1: genre benders. Yeah.
2: And and so we. Watched it a lot. And then we played the records a lot. Um, you know, I can still sing every word to every song. And then I found out, you know, talking to Edgar and, and sorry, by the way, then I was also into more De Palma, you know. So it's like, you know, whether it's Untouchables or Body Doubles, certainly Scarface, which I've probably seen as often as um
1: it was like as like a rapper,
2: as fans, <laughs> as Scarface. Um, uh, and Carrie, of course, which, as you guys probably caught, I remade. Um, Absolutely. Uh, be, beware the remake. Beware the remake of the of the much. Beloved of the beloved classic of the beloved yes. classic, which by the way, twice because yeah, the it, thing, man. It, but but by the way, with the thing, I thought we did something clever with the prequel. I don't know if you guys yeah, have you seen my it. version yeah, of yeah. the thing where exactly the last yeah, shot of our movie is the first shot of the carpet movie. The first, shot. still got yeah. skewered. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was a good movie, anyway. So so to me, that's what it was. It was brilliant music, storytelling, satire mix of 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 comedy horror and all those things uh some brave performances some beautiful songs look in actual fact i am i have become friendly with sam pressman ed pressman's son and i'm hell-bent on getting phantom of the paradise to broadway uh because i think i think it it could be another rocky horror on stage and uh So, so yeah, that's where, that's where that comes from me on my, on my, you know, very early diploma, but showing signs of, uh, of the, the greatness.
1: I mean, great- everyone calls him an operatic director. I mean, like Scarface, he says, "Oh, it's an opera." So once you see that, you're like, "Yeah, that's what he does. He does operas. It's bigger than life. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a fantasy. It's cinematic. I mean, I'm so in love with that shot where they, you know, Paul Williams plays this sort of satanic, you know, record executive guy. And uh, by the way, the-
0: still alive had as cap and acting by the yes. way is doing some great roles People do and not I'm in- sorry to interrupt you Alex but people do not understand how big of a star
1: he was. He was a huge huge star that. That was like he was the A wrote the some of the biggest
0: you know uh, you know uh songs. I mean uh, scored movies yeah. like won the Oscar talent. for
2: a Star is Born. That's right by the way much like swan possibly immortal could, yeah. possibly, <laughs> possibly could be i mean i think he's like 80 he's 80 he, do, he just he's keeps 80. going yeah, yeah. He doesn't give a he's shit. fresh sam sam keeps in touch with him yeah and so does guillermo keep in touch with him
0: oh really yeah
2: i mean yeah, he different.
0: was in everything he was in everything for years and uh, not to mention his game show run where he was on every game show and just or like
1: f- little anus and uh smoky and the bandit and like i mean he just turned up everywhere he was a personality of rainbow connection
0: side. i think he wrote rainbow connection too yeah right? for uh, the muppets yeah. uh
1: sorry alex i derailed
0: your th- no just but i, I Paul-
1: as as a as a you know, Urzett's musician myself What I loved was the scene where he's sitting at a desk that's ma- That looks like a giant gold record And they're talking about how to present this song That they've stolen from this burgeoning songwriter And that amazing cinematic of like Well, should we do a country western? Nah Should we do Motown style? Nah And they actually, you know, have these different arrangements It was, it was like a great way to show how a song is arranged How it's interpreted
3: Have sleep on
0: Failed and left behind. Wrong. Wrong again. To work it out, I let him in. All the good guys and the bad guys that I've been. Pretty, but no.
2: Guillermo and Edgar, two of the biggest Phantom fans in the world also, so... I'm well, yeah, I mean, last night in Soho had shades of it for sure. Exactly.
1: Um, well, anyway, thank you so much, Miles. This was uh, amazing. Uh, please come back. Yeah, and appreciate the time to regale us with tales from the screen trade. Uh, we are how I got greenlit. I am Alex Collegian, along with my host, co-host Ryan Gibson. Yeah, co-host Ryan Gibson, and uh, we have been talking to Jay Miles Dale, Oscar award-winning producer, filmmaker, director. Uh, it it was a unique pleasure yeah thanks Miles yeah thanks guys loved it anytime well folks
0: Greenlighters I don't know if that's sticking I I like it and I don't like it I I don't know our listeners our audience thanks for listening I can't thank J. Miles Dale enough Alex and I can't thank him enough he's got a lot going on he's done a lot I mean just you know hanging out with Guillermo Del Toro uh, you know sign me up i do that job. But thank you, Jay Miles Dale for joining us and uh, just a great interview. Uh, I know Alex and I, uh, we just, we, we, I think we talked about for like three hours afterwards. As we leave you, I will give you a reminder as I do every episode to subscribe, rate and review the show, wherever you get your podcasts. It says here that I should include a sincere explanation, but if you can't hear the desperation of my voice, I don't know what to say. <laughs> five-star review, as I always say. Give us a five-star on the Apple. Uh, follow us on How I Got Greenlit, Instagram, TikTok, X slash Twitter. You know, you know the, you know the ones. And if you would, we love hearing from you. Thanks to the folks who've already written in. We are very communicative, so uh, both on Instagram and email. So if you do email us, you probably will hear from us very quickly. So so reach out. But email us at howigotgreenlit at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with J. Miles Dale. We were lucky to get him. For Alex Collegian, I'm Ryan Gibson. Thanks for listening. This has been How I Got Greenlit. See you next time.